Hello, welcome to episode 18 of Defense Against the Dark Arts. I'm Paul Mill. In this episode, we're going to be talking about patterns of inference. Inference. What is inference? Inference is the process of drawing a conclusion, a judgment. As we know, judgment is not objective truth. It is, it's an opinion. So inference is the other side to the coin of thesis. Thesis is a proposition, uh, something offered for acceptance. You submit a thesis because you really believe it's true. Then we have hypothesis or hypothesis. Hypo meaning below and the thesis being your serious proposition. So a hypothesis is a what if scenario, a hypothetical situation a less serious proposition. Another name for a hypothetical uh, is a conditional statement. A uh, conditional statements and hypotheticals are synonymous. So uh, this is where inferences live. We draw conclusions, we make judgments using hypothetical scenarios or conditionals and thesis, hypothesis, thesis. We all have the capacity to infer things based on random guesses, heuristics. It's not totally random most of the time. Uh, our guesses are based on our experience and evidence, hopefully. So then they are not assumptions, but presumptions. Assumptions are guesses with no evidence. Presumptions are guesses with some evidence. Presumptions based on bad evidence is where the manipulator lives. There are patterns we use to infer things that are fallacious uh, or false patterns of inference. There are some patterns of inference that are valid. Arguments of inference can be valid or invalid. Knowing a few of these simple patterns will greatly help defend ourselves against the dark arts of manipulation. Again, I'm talking logically valid, as in the form of an argument, not its soundness or how true it is objectively. This, this is a separate issue I'll cover in an upcoming podcast about premise evaluation. There are, of course, infinite patterns of inference, but I'm going to go over just a few of the most common ones used by us humans. The main ones that are critical to understand if we want to think critically and have the power to see manipulation easier. So what are they? There are two main types of inferences. An argument uh, with one premise is called an immediate inference. An argument with two or more premises is called a syllogism. Remember that concept. Syllogisms are very common. It's a simple concept, but critical to remember. One premise is immediate inference. More than one premise are syllogisms. Both are patterns of inference. A common immediate inference is the double negation. Double negatives. We all remember the teacher's giving us crap about double negatives. There ain't no whatever, right? So double, double negation. Here's an example. The premise would be not unlike a dog, the claim, therefore it is a dog or no, therefore it's like a dog. 
So if it's not, unlike a dog. So it's just like math or grammar. An even number of negatives cancel out. Odd number of negatives remain negative and are to be true. <laughs> An odd number of negatives remain negative. So the premise, not unlike a dog, not is one negative, unlike is another negative, so they can be canceled out. What are we left? We're left with like a dog. It's usually bad grammar, but we hear double negatives all the time or more than double. Sometimes it's triple negatives or, you know, if people are really trying to bamboozle, they'll throw even more in, right? So this can be intentionally added to obfuscate what the arguer or manipulator is actually trying to, or actually saying. Not what they're trying to say, they are saying what they're trying to say, right? A manipulator rarely, you know, screws up their words. They're intentionally saying things just so to throw you off or, you know, to not admit to something, but make it sound like they sort of admitting to something else, right? So an, an example of uh, obfuscation uh, with double negation is, uh, or more than double, I guess, would be you don't not want to not trust her, right? So therefore you want to not trust her. So you don't not want to not trust her. So is this a logically valid claim based on the premise that you therefore want to not trust her, right? You think, well, what the hell am I saying, right? So, right, well, let's count the negatives, right? You don't, so you do not, right? That's one negative. You do not, not, so there's two negatives, want to not, three negatives, trust her. So the first two cancel out. So then what are we left with? Uh, you want to trust her, uh, you want to not trust her is what, what we're left with. So you want to not trust her is a logically valid claim based on this premise. Now, this is obviously not conveyed in the most, uh, you know, the best way, the clearest, uh, succinct way, right? But this is could be intentional. And these are the things we need to watch out for, right? I mean, you know it when you see people throwing these uh, bullshit double, triple negatives at you. Like, why are you even saying it that way? Just, you know. There might be a, a time when you need to say a double negative when you're saying it's, but this is beyond the scope of what I'm talking about right now. So just remember that even evens or pairs of negatives cancel out and odds or singles are still negative. Uh, so this was an example of an immediate inference, right? Because it was a double negative. There was a single premise. It was a really bamboozled one with all the, the knots, but it still was just a single premise. And then the claim was, you know, you therefore you do not want to trust her. So the, the premise, one premise, one claim, that is an immediate inference. So you can make an immediate judgment based, that's what it's called, immediate inference. So another common type of immediate inference is our old friend, the converse or the conversion. Uh, if you heard my earlier podcast, you know that a conversion is simply swapping the antecedent with the consequent. And by itself, it's not logically valid, it's invalid. And if you're not sure what an antecedent or a consequent is, then you need to go back and watch some of my earlier podcasts because I went over them laboriously, right? So if you have a conditional, I'm not going to go over it again. So 
here's a plan, uh, a premise with a claim that is the converse. So we have a premise and then we're going to have a claim that is the converse. If it's a holiday, then we're closed. Therefore, if we are closed, then it is a holiday. This is clearly wrong. You could be closed because it's a weekend. It's your off hours or there's some kind of a pandemic, some kind of a voodoo flu, right? So this is the, the formal fallacy of affirming the consequent. We'll talk about that in a bit. Just remember affirming the consequent. That's what this one was. So a converse or the conversion is just when you swap them around. In this case, we were affirming the consequent and this is bad thinking. Bad, B-A-D, thinking, T-H-I-N-K-I-N, apostrophe. So now we have what's next, the contraposition. You know, if you recall in my earlier podcasts, if you haven't seen them, you need to go watch them. Uh, when you take the converse of, of something and then you also take the negative, uh, you know, of the premise, you get a contraposition which is, you know, called the contrapositive. It's sometimes called a transposition, but I think that's only in old books. I've only seen it like in, in more modern books called the contrapositive. Uh, it's just the, the, the converse, which is swapping the antecedent and the consequent, and then taking the negative, which is putting the word not in front of each of them. Now, this is valid logic. This is valid. When you take the contraposition, you swap them and put knots in front of them. It's logical. Well, I'll show you. I'll give you an example. Um, in this example, I'll give the premise and the claim will be the contrapositive because we're doing immediate inferences. So there's only one premise and one claim. So if I'm going to give a premise, then I'm going to give you the contrapositive as the claim or the conclusion, whichever you want to call it. So here we go. If it's a holiday then we are closed. I've heard that one before. Therefore, if we are not closed, then it is not a holiday. This is a valid immediate inference because we're doing the contrapositive. I swapped the antecedent of it's a holiday with, you know, we are closed. And then I put knots in front of them. So if it's a holiday, <clears throat> then we are closed. If we are not closed, then it is not a holiday. See, I swapped them and put the knots. And if you think about that for a second, it's logically sound. It makes, it makes sense. <laughs> so here's another example. Um, I'll give you a negative in the premise, uh, which will turn into a double negative when we take the contrapositive in the claim. So I'm doing a two, four here. So if it's a holiday, then we are not open. So notice there's a negative there. I put a not <clears throat> instead of saying closed that I said, we're not open. Same thing, right? But there's a negative. So if it is a holiday, then we are not open. Therefore we are not, not open. I'm going to remove the double negatives because there's two knots there. So with double negation, there's two of them, they cancel. So now that we are, if we are not, not open, that turns into, if we are open, then it is still taking the the, the negative of the, the antecedent, if we are open, then it is not a holiday. So if it is a holiday, then we are not open. If we are open, then it is not a holiday. See, I just threw that little negative in there to, well, whatever. 
examples. So what types of inference are there? There's immediate inference with single premises. And then we have two or more premises, and they are called syllogisms. Syllogisms. S-Y-L-L-O-G-I-S-M. Syllogisms. They are so old, that, that syllogisms, that the ancient Greeks discussed them. And the fact that we are still talking about them uh, today says something. I don't know what it says, but it says something. It says we're still talking about them, I guess. It was the medieval monks, I don't know, some monks in the medieval days, that gave a lot of these syllogisms names. So at least the Greeks talked about them, and some monks talked about them, and we are talking about them today. So I'm not saying or claiming that people in between talked about them, because maybe they didn't, but at least we are. <laughs> All right, so an if-then statement. We've talked about this on previous podcasts. An if-then statement is called a conditional statement, because there's a condition if X, then Y. That's the condition, right? This is how we think about it today because a lot of us, you know, code or know how to code. But if we think about it like the Greeks did, we can realize that this is also a hypothetical scenario, right? You're not, you're not really, uh, give me an example here. Uh, if Courtney was a junkie, then she killed Kurt for his songs. That is a hypothetical scenario. It's also a conditional. Conditionals are hypothetical scenarios. And if the premises of a syllogism are a mix of conditional and non-conditional statements, we call this type of syllogism mixed hypothetical syllogisms. Wow, how'd they get that name? Eh? It's pretty much a reach. So because they are a mix of hypothetical or conditional premises and non-conditional assertions, we call it that. So a hypothetical scenario describes the concept much better than uh, a conditional statement. Uh, but of course, this depends on the context. So immediate inferences have one premise, and now we have a type of non-immediate inference or syllogism called the mixed hypothetical syllogism, which is a hypothetical scenario as one premise and one assertion for the second premise. Here's an example. Examples are good. If it's a holiday, then we are closed. It is a holiday, therefore we are closed. So what did I do there? The first premise is if it's a holiday, then we are closed. It's a conditional if then or hypothetical. The second premise, it is a holiday, is an assertion. And that assertion is affirming the antecedent. It is stating the antecedent as true. That's what affirming means. You're stating something as affirmative, right? You're affirming. It's true. Affirmative. So it's just stating that the antecedent, what's the antecedent? If it's a holiday, then we're closed. So the second premise affirms the antecedent. It's a holiday by saying it is a holiday. So it's affirming it. Then we have the claim, therefore we are closed. So that's called affirming the antecedent. So this example we call affirming the antecedent, which just means we stated the antecedent as a fact. That's affirming the antecedent. The ancients called this, affirming the antecedent, modus ponens. I think it's Latin, right? It sounds Latin, but it's funny that they, the middle, uh, middle-aged monks, 
I guess the middle-aged monk spoke Latin instead of old English. Well, I'm assuming they're English monks. Maybe they weren't English monks. Maybe they were French monks speaking, speaking Latin. Maybe they were Latin monks. I don't know. Were there Latin monks? I'm not really up on medieval monks. I have no idea. I'm, maybe they, well, obviously they must have spoke Latin because I think this is Latin. So they called it modus ponens, P-O-N-E-N, M-O-D-U-S, modus ponens, P-O-N-E-N-S. So this is a valid argument. A lot of times when there's names, they're called a valid, you know, valid arguments have names. So this is a valid pattern of inference. This is a valid way of making a judgment. This is a valid way of reasoning. This is good thinking, right? Modus ponens, affirming the antecedent. Now, affirming doesn't mean something is a fact. It just means you're stating, stating it as a fact. So it may not be a fact. You're just stating it that it's a fact. So there's a difference there. Subtle nuance, right? It isn't necessarily a fact. You're just stating that it's a fact. So what happens if we affirm the consequent? So if we state the consequent as a fact, is this pattern of inference valid? Is affirming the consequent a true way of reasoning? Well, we can figure that out quickly with an example. Here we go with our old holiday job. If it's a holiday, then we are closed. So the antecedent is it's a holiday and the consequent is we are closed. So if it's a holiday, then we are closed. Now we're going to affirm the consequent. We are closed. So if it's a holiday, then we are closed. We are closed. Therefore, it's a holiday. Does that make sense? No, this is not valid because we could be closed for, you know, it's, it's after hours or it's a weekend or it's a pandemic. You know, just because being closed, uh, just because being closed is necessary when it's a holiday, according to the logic, uh, being closed is not sufficient to prove that it is a holiday because it could be a weekend or after hours. So affirming the consequent, the consequent is a fallacy. This is not a valid way of reasoning. It is a not, uh, it's not valid inferences. Inferencing, it's not valid. <laughs> so affirming the antecedent, the, the first part is valid. Affirming the consequent, the second part is not valid. So what about denying the consequent? So denying the second part. So is that a valid way of reasoning, a, a valid pattern of inference? When we have affirmed the antecedent or consequent, we also affirmed the other in the claim. When we deny the antecedent or consequent, we must also deny the other in the claim. So when I'm talking about in the, in the premise part, right? When we, when we affirm them with the second premise or deny them in the second premise in the claim following, we also have to affirm or deny depending on what we did in the second premise. So let's check out our example here. If it's a holiday, then we are closed. We are not closed. So we are denying the second part. We are denying the consequent. We are not closed. Therefore, it is not a holiday. So denying, so now we're going to deny the antecedent in the claim. But in the, the second premise is what we got to watch out for here. So that's where we deny the consequent. If it's a holiday, then we are closed. 
We are not closed, therefore it is not a holiday. So is this a, a, a valid way? Yes. Being open is sufficient to prove that it is not a holiday, if you think about it for two seconds. Denying the consequent is valid. Denying the consequent is a valid way of reasoning, a valid pattern of inference. The ancients called denying the consequent modus tollens, T-O-L-L-E-N-S, modus, M-O-D-U-S, tollens, and recognized it as a valid way of inferring, of making a judgment. So far, we've covered affirming the antecedent, affirming the consequent, denying the consequent. So what's our last option? Denying the antecedent. If P, then Q, not P, therefore not Q. This sounds valid, but it's not. It's a fallacy. Again, we'll check it with an example. If it's a holiday, then we are closed. It's not a holiday. We're denying the antecedent. Therefore, we are not closed. If it's a holiday, then we're closed. It's not a holiday. Therefore, we're not closed. It could be after hours or a weekend or a pandemic. So this is not a true claim based on the premises. It's an invalid pattern of inference. It's a fallacious reasoning. It's bad thinking. T-H-I-N-K-I-N apostrophe. So manipulators, fools, and those of us who aren't careful can easily be duped by these two fallacies as they are close to the valid reasoning of modus ponens and modus tollens. Tollens? Tollens? It's easy to remember the valid way. Antecedent is first. That's the first one, right? So if you affirm it uh, for truth, right? The second one is, the, the consequent is the second one, so you deny the second one for truth. So you affirm the first one, the antecedent, you get true. You deny the second one, and you get true. So one, true, two, true. I don't know if that makes any sense to anybody. It makes sense to me anyways. So affirming the antecedent and denying the consequent are valid. Denying the antecedent and affirming the consequent are invalid meaning they don't prove anything. Affirming the antecedent is called modus ponens. Denying the consequent is called modus tollens. Affirming the consequent is called the fallacy of affirming the consequent. Denying the antecedent, you'll never guess this one, is called the fallacy of denying the antecedent. <laughs> so remember, we're talking about logic, the pattern of inference, not the objective truth. A fallacy doesn't prove something is true, uh, but the fallacy may or may not be objectively false. A fallacy might be true. It's just not proving it's true, and it's not proving anything's false. So that's, the, the, the again, a little bit of a nuance you got to catch. The fallacy could be objectively true, but its logic does not prove it either way. So the logic is meaningless garbage. These four syllogisms uh, were our mixed hypothetical syllogisms because one premise was a conditional and the other was not. What do we call it when both of our premises are conditionals? The ancients called this one a pure hypothetical syllogism. It's pure 
because it involves only conditionals or hypothetical scenarios. So it's purely hypothetical syllogism. If P, here's an example. If P, then Q. If Q, then R. Therefore, if P, then R. I don't know if you got that. So Q is necessary for P. R is necessary for Q. Therefore, R is necessary for P. And it might be kind of funny when you hear these, unless you visualize the letters. Sometimes when people throw letters at me like that, I get confused. I'm like, well, which, what, what, hold, slow down a second. I got to write this down. What? <laughs> right? So I don't know if you're in that situation or not. Try to visualize the letters as I say them. This is a, so this is a valid form of reasoning, pure hypothetical syllogism in this form. It's a valid pattern of inference. It's good thinking. So an example here, maybe this will help. If we are driving, then the engine is on. If the engine is on, then there is gas in the tank. Therefore, if we are driving, then there is gas in the tank. This is valid logic. This is a pure hypothetical syllogism. A manipulator can easily use a pattern of inference that looks like this valid pattern, but of course it is not true because they're a manipulator. So an example, and I've heard all these things. If white people are successful, then they did not earn it. If they did not earn it, then black people are repressed. Therefore, if white people are successful, then black people are repressed. This is an invalid argument. It's fallacious because both premises are non sequiturs. They're false assumptions and they're stereotypes. There is no correlation between the alleged success of one arbitrary group of people and the repression of another arbitrary group. The second premise also asserts that a a, a suppressed claim. We'll go into suppressed claims in the next podcast, I think. Uh, so it asserts a suppressed claim that black people are not successful. <laughs> Racist is that? It also labels people without defining what white or black actually means. Who's white? Who's black? What's the defining line? At what point is someone either or? It also d- doesn't define what success means or what repressed means. We don't need an argument to define what a word means, but when words are subjective, that's a large vector of attack for the manipulator and absolutely used in a lot of fallacies like the Mott and Bailey fallacy. We'll go over the Mott and Bailey fallacy in another podcast. An equally insane argument, an equally irrational, invalid argument would be, if I am an influential, super rich, non-white person living in Martha's Vineyard, pushing anti-white stereotypes and racism, then I am repressed. If I am repressed, then everyone else owes me reparations. Therefore, if I am an influential, super rich, non-white person living in Martha's Vineyard, pushing anti-white stereotypes and racism, then everyone else owes me reparations. You know, clearly, you know, a a quick evaluation of the premise and claim would bring a rational person to draw the inference that this argument is invalid, regardless of certain ex-presidents' wives seriously claiming this, you know, and and the the lapdog media not calling it out. 
you know, further proving legacy media are the PR departments for the super rich leftists. Again, I'll be going over premise evaluation in an upcoming podcast. Moving on, this brings me to the syllogism called Barbara, B-A-R-B-A-R-A, Barbara. It's a syllogism, but it's not a pure hypothetical syllogism because the premises are not hypothetical. They are assertions, but their pattern is very similar to the purely hypothetical syllogism. All A R B, all B R C, therefore all A R C. This is the uh, a valid pattern of inference. Example: All humans are animals. All animals are a part of nature. Therefore, all humans are a part of nature. This is valid and objectively objectively true. So we call it sound. This is sound logic. This brings us to disjunctive syllogisms. Remember, there are conjunctions. You know, they connect connecting words, right? Uh, and, but, or, and disjunctions usually refer to the word or in logic. So a disjunctive syllogism is a syllogism with the word or in the premise. The alternatives on either side of the or are called disjuncts. So you have A or B. So the disjunct A or the disjunct B. So we're just saying that the A is called a disjunct and the B is called a disjunct, right? So just for you know naming things, it's it makes things a little more clear. So the logic of an or statement is both A or B equals true. Either A or B equals true. Neither A or B equals false. So if A or A or B can be true, either A or B can be true, but neither A or B, if they're both false, then the whole statement's false. So if anything is true in an or statement, it's true. That's an or statement, right? So example, um, it is A or B. That's the first um, premise. It is not A. There's our assertion. Therefore, it is B. So it is A or B. It's not A. Therefore, it's B. So this is valid using or logic because one of them is true according to the logic of the first premise. It is A or B. So that, that statement is saying one of them is true. So denying one leads us to infer that the other one must be true. So if it's not A, therefore it is B. Pretty simple, right? But what about affirming one of the disjuncts? So that was denying it. So, right, we said it's not A, but what if we say it is A? It is A or B. It is A is our second premise. Therefore, it is not B. So does that make sense? It is A or B. It is A. Therefore, it's not B. This is not valid when using or logic because both A or B can be true at the same time. But it is valid when using the exclusive or logic because in exclusive or logic, only one of the disjuncts can be true at a time. So exclusive or means either or but not both and not neither. <laughs> so either or, so exclusive or logic means only one is true and one is false. Or means one of them is true 
either one or both of them are true. So that's exclusive is only one true. Regular or logic is one of them or both of them are true. So we can't always affirm a disjunctive syllogism because either or both may be true depending on the context. But we can always, no matter what it is, deny either disjunct to have a logically valid claim. Uh, another example of a disjunctive syllogism, syllogism would be directions. Is it left or right? It's not left, therefore we turn right. Since we are denying one of the directions, it doesn't matter if it's an or logic or an exclusive or logic because at least one of the disjuncts has to be true according to the logic of the premise. And we're saying one of them is false, so therefore it doesn't matter which, the other one is true. Again, this doesn't mean that the premise is objectively true. The logic of the disjunct of syllogism means that at least one disjunct has to be true or the entire statement is false. So it's all garbage. If, if they're both not true, it's garbage. So back to our directions. Is it left or right? We denied it's left. It's not left, therefore it's right. That's valid logic. If we affirmed one of the directions, then we have a problem, right? Using or logic. Is it left or right? It is left, but... We can't say, therefore, it's right. It could also be right using or logic because both can be true, you know, with or logic. So it's ambiguous. So it could be, it is left, but it could also be right. There might be two ways to get there. You can go around the block both directions, right? So if we're using exclusive or logic, then only one of the disjuncts can be true, not both. So it is left or right. It is left. Therefore, it is not right. That is a valid inference using exclusive or logic. Another example of or logic, there are two ways to get there. So we have it's the high road or the low road. The high road is okay. Therefore, the low road is not okay. This is bad thinking in or logic because, you know, of course, they both could be true. So we can, when they both could be true, we can only deny one to know the other is true in our logic. We cannot affirm one and then infer anything about the other in that case, unless we're using exclusive or logic. So here's another example of, let's look at this, the, the exclusive or logic of alive or dead. It can only be one or the other zombies and quantum physics, notwithstanding. So affirming exclusive or logic, it's alive or it's dead. So let's affirm one of them, pick one alive. It's alive. We're affirming the first disjunct. It is alive. Therefore it is not dead. This is valid logic because we're using exclusive or logic alive or dead. It can only be one or the other. This is exclusive or logic. It's not like the road where you could take both ways and get there. You can't be alive and dead. It's one or the other. This is exclusive or logic. So what happens when we deny one of the disjuncts in exclusive or logic? It's alive or it's dead. It's not dead. Therefore it's alive. So this is also valid with exclusive or logic. You can affirm or you can deny one of the disjuncts and you still get a way of inferring the truth. 
So it doesn't matter if we affirm or deny in the disjunctive syllogism, uh, you know, when it's, when it's exclusive or, uh, we could still infer, uh, infer a valid claim. It does matter if we affirm or deny the disjunctive syllogism, uh, when it's a regular or logic. So let's try that affirming, affirming the or logic. We get to affirm one of the disjuncts. It's the high road or the low road. The high road is okay, but we cannot infer anything about the low road. It's ambiguous because the low road might be okay. It might not be. We don't know because we're using or logic. So that what happens now when we deny or logic, it's the high road or the low road. The high road is offline. Therefore we can infer that the low road is okay based on the premise, because according to the premise, one of them has to be logically true or the whole argument is false. So you might ask, how do we know if the low road is okay or not? Objectively in reality, we don't. In fact, we don't care as we're only looking at the logic of the argument that it's posing, right? And according to the logic uh, of the argument, one of them has to be okay. Evaluating the premise is not the point right now. Uh, we'll cover that soon enough. So all disjunctive syllogisms are valid if the second premise denies one of the disjuncts. So if you're saying something is not that, if it's this or this, and you're saying one of them is not true, doesn't matter what logic you're using in terms of or, if it's a disjunctive, it, you can come up with a valid uh, claim. And only for exclusive or type syllogisms are they valid if the second premise affirms one of the disjuncts. Because if it's true, the other one has to be false. So let's review. There are uh, patterns of inference. Uh, there are ways of making judgment. There are two types of inferences, immediate inferences and syllogisms. Immediate inferences can be double negatives, conversions, contraposition. Uh, popular mixed syllogisms are modus ponens, which is also affirming the antecedent. Modus tollens, which is denying the consequent. Fallacy of denying the antecedent and fallacy of affirming the consequent. Pure hypothetical syllogisms, Barbara, and then our disjunctive syllogisms. Next podcast will, uh, or discourse, <laughs> I think I'll call them a discourse instead of a podcast, will be on suppressed premise. So until then, farewell. <laughs>